Well, warnings. Warnings are everywhere, aren't they? Um, we see there's health warnings, there's public safety warnings, there's warnings from different authorities over different incidents, perhaps. There's warnings that we get from our friends. Uh, there's warnings that we might even get from our enemies. Uh, warnings are everywhere and they're really part of a, our life, aren't they? Now, during my lifetime, I can remember a few warnings and you might remember these too. So, remember smoking kills and the gruesome advertising campaigns that uh, were associated with that, the imagery that was printed on packets of cigarettes in order to discourage us uh, from smoking. Uh, or more recently, um, drink driving campaign that told us RBT means you need a plan B. And the classic ads of people you know, beaming themselves up like Scotty or having an SAS commando drop down into the bar and uh, come and take you away so you don't have to drink and drive. Uh, or perhaps you remember Slip Slop Slap, um, which more recently became Slip Slop Slap Seek Slide. They couldn't leave it, could they? <laughs> Just so that yeah, the, the older people like me know what it was, because we probably only remember the first one. Um, it was, uh, I have to read this, slip on a shirt, slop on some sunscreen, slap on a hat, seek shade, and slide on sunnies. That's a mouthful, isn't it? The other one, uh, same thing. The other one we came across uh, more recently was uh, click, clack, front and back, which then became clip every trip. And you might have remembered that's fairly recent, so probably been on the TV in the last 12 months, I'd imagine. Uh, you might remember that warning. Or do you remember swim coach Laurie Lawrence with his uh, kids alive, do the five, which is fence the pool, shut the gate, teach your kids to swim, it's great. Supervise, watch your mate and learn how to resuscitate. You're getting lots of warning messages this morning, aren't you? Or in the Howard years of government, uh, when they released a national security campaign, I think this was shortly after 9-11 perhaps, uh, or in the years following that, uh, the national security campaign encouraged us to be alert but not alarmed uh, and to report suspicious things through to the national security hotline. You see, if we listen to campaigns, then the hope is that we won't suffer the consequences. So, you know, don't smoke, you might not get lung cancer. We know that that's not 100% true. Stay under 0.05 and you won't get arrested or charged. You'll be more safely behind the wheel. Slip, slop, slack, seek and slide. Don't get skin cancer. Click, clack, front and back, or clip every trip as it became. Less chance of significant injury if you're in an accident. Kids alive, do the five, well, you get the idea. We can either heed these warnings or we can proceed at our own risk. And risk is something that we measure. We consider the likely outcome, don't we? And taking risks that we might even get away with it from time to time. But the main purpose of the warning is surely so we don't suffer the consequences of our action or inaction. So who here today, 
a quick show of hands. Who here today has ever overestimated themselves when it comes to risk? So everyone that put their hands up there, the honest people. <laughs> I reckon we've all done it, haven't we? Every one of us. Um, we say that, you know, it won't happen to me. I'm smarter than that. I've got better skills. I'll get away with this. But sure, inevitably, not everything always goes right. Whatever it is, today's passage has a warning for every one of us. And it's a warning that concerns life and death. And so let's open our Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read from verses 1 through to 15. You can find that on page 821 of the Blue Church Bibles. Uh, it also will appear on the screen behind me as I read that out. I'll give you a, a moment to just find that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 1 to 5. It says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin? For me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way. And will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, 
for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, it is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Many of us appreciate a good warning, uh, but there'd be just as many of us again who don't appreciate it. Being warned about things, well, it can annoy them. You don't like being told what to do, it's inconvenient. It's restrictive even. Are we living in a nanny state? We think, I can discern whether I need a warning myself. What are you like with warnings? I think we need to be discerning about warnings, but I'll agree with you. Some are helpful and others are absolute rubbish. Well, in today's passage, there's a warning that I hope you don't think is absolute rubbish. I hope we each heed this warning from God's word. See, chapter 11 contains some very strong warnings to Christians related to false apostles or false teachers, false teaching that was going on. And I think the very first thing that we can say is that while this warning is very relevant to the first century Corinthian church, it's also been relevant since then, every single day, and it continues to be just as relevant today as it was for them. Fact. False teaching and false teachers have been around for millennia. They remain so today and they'll remain so until Jesus returns. Paul wants us not to be deceived. But why? We look at verse 2 there. Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. You see, Paul really cares about these people. He's the, he's the apostle who took the gospel to them. He's their apostle, their spiritual father, we might call it. Paul's clearly worried they might be led astray, that they might be diverted from their devotion to Christ. Verse 3 says, I am afraid, just like Eve was deceived in the garden by the serpent, that you're going to be led astray from your sincere and your, your pure devotion to Christ, it says. Paul's clearly worried that they will, they will be led away from Christ, who in verse 2, he says, you were presented to as the church, as the body of believers. Paul's earnest and sincere wish here is for the believers in Corinth that they would have a strong relationship with Christ. A relationship with Christ that goes on and on and on and on into eternity. Just like it is my wish for you here today. And your wish for your family and your friends, your colleagues, your neighbours that they too would have a relationship with Jesus that goes on and on and on and on into eternity. See, the Corinthian believers, they're like, I think, they're like Paul's kids. Something, and something like a predator has come in for the kids. And Paul has this very, very, very deep concern. Verse 4 says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, 
or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted. You put up with it easily enough. He's afraid that they've been absolutely duped. Fake Jesus, different spirit. And he says to them, you're so undiscerning in these things that you put up with it easily enough. Paul's making a passionate plea. I hope I'm conveying that to you today. The fact is, it tells us two things. One, that false teaching was indeed around. And two, that the Corinthian Christians were susceptible to believing it. We know in our day and time that fake products exist, don't we? We've heard about fake medicine. We've heard about fake concert tickets. We've even heard recently, I think in South Australia last week, there was fake police. You know, fake medicine. Take the pills, receive the treatment, but you don't get better. Sadly, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people per year die from fake medicine. It has no effect. Or fake concert tickets. You know, you, you rock up to the venue, they won't let you in, will they? Or fake police. Their actions are unenforceable. They can't put you before the court. You see, the fake can look like the real thing, but the result is it doesn't help you at all. Likewise, a fake gospel can look like the gospel, but it won't save you. So Paul is passionately concerned uh, for the eternal well-being, uh, for the salvation of this group of Christians in Corinth. They're his kids, and they're being led astray by false teachers. If we move on to the next section, 5 to 12, Paul makes a passionate defence of the authenticity of his ministry among the Corinthian church. Now, because Paul is concerned about the truth and because he cares for the Corinthians, he's actually worried about them. And so in 5 to 12, he says, Listen to me. Why do you reckon... Paul would say, listen to me. Presumably, I reckon, this is real simple, they might not have been listening to him. It's not rocket science, is it? It seems that the false apostles were just preaching a false gospel. They weren't just preaching this false gospel, I should say, but they were openly hostile and critical of Paul's ministry. And when we look at 5 to 6, it tells us more about one of their criticisms. It says, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So it seems that Paul's presentation, well, it's really unimpressive. Paul says he is an untrained speaker. Although from my perspective and perhaps your perspective of Paul, he seems anything but unimpressive, doesn't he? I mean, if you, if you look back to Acts and you look at his speech in Athens, that's hardly unimpressive, is it? Paul's referring here to those that are trained in the ancient art of Greco-Roman rhetoric, not to be confused with Greco-Roman wrestling. 
comparing himself to those who had spent years of their lives learning the art of professional speaking. See, compared to these guys, Paul's pretty unimpressive. To this he says, I may be untrained, but I do have knowledge. Paul was more concerned with the substance over the style. Because it's the gospel that saves, not carefully crafted, elaborate, pretty, beautiful words. Let's play a little game here. Remember the game, Would You Rather? A few of you nod, hopefully. Okay. Would you rather go to a church with unspectacular speakers that teach the truth with an awe? with an entertaining speaker who sometimes twists the truth to make it more palatable. What are you going to pick? A. a. Well done. You can stay. Give that, yeah, he's already got a membership form. <laughs> or would you rather go to church with amazing music and dodgy preaching or a church with average music and great faithful Biblical teaching. B. And ultimately, I hope you can find both. Hopefully it's here. (laughs) But uh, Paul's not just being critiqued over his unimpressive speaking. Uh, They found something else to bag him about. Uh, You see, criticism number two. He preaches for free. Can you believe that? He preaches for free. Let's read uh, verses 7 to 9. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Paul is uh, criticised for not taking money. We're not really told why he doesn't take their money. Um, it's clear, though, that, you know, that he didn't take their money and that from that we can surmise that he's not financially exploiting them. If he had, and perhaps from there we can go... If he'd taken money from them, it's possible that he may have been under some sort of obligation. Not uncommon in those times, that if, if uh, you were to take money from someone, well, then you owed them. It could be a favour, it could be just the money in return. We don't know. Whatever the reason was, it's, he's not doing it because he doesn't love them. I mean, he says that in verse 11. He says, why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. You can almost, you can feel the passion in that word, can't you? God knows that I do love you. Paul's resolve is then this appeal. Because he loves these people and he's concerned with the truth. Paul says, don't be deceived by false teachers, by false apostles. Verse 13, for such people are false apostles deceitful workers, masquerading 
as apostles of Christ. It is surprising that these false apostles, teachers and teachers or teachers, they look like the genuine article. Paul says they masquerade as servants of righteousness. Verse 15, it's not surprising then if his, being Satan's servants, also masquerade as servants of righteousness. He finishes the verse, their end, meaning their final destiny, will be what their actions deserve. You see, these people look, sound, and possibly even smell like Paul, but their message, the um, their message, their gospel serves another master, deceiving the followers of Christ. And Paul says confidently their end will be what their actions deserve. You see, Satan doesn't uh, present himself as a, a liar, as a murderer, as a hater, a cheat, because we wouldn't listen to someone like that, would we? Rather, Satan presents himself as appealing, attractive, desirable and altogether reasonable. Now like Paul mentioned in verse 2, we're just like Eve in the garden, easily deceived by the serpent. You see, Satan is cunning and easily leads us away from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The false teachers are deceptive, just like their master, Satan. False teachers present pretty close to the truth, but they'll never acknowledge that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. They will cast doubt on key messages of the gospel. Is Jesus really God? Was Jesus really raised from the dead or is it just a nice story to help you sleep at night? They might be high on personal style, the hair, by hat the clothes, the charisma, but they have no substance. But how do we assess false teaching? I'll give you a few things here today that hopefully make this very practical. Three things, words, actions, and attitudes. Words, firstly. How does what they say stack up against the word of God? Yeah, Paul said, I may be untrained, but I have knowledge. So when we assess someone's teaching or whether they're teaching the truth, it's got to be backed up by scripture. And so every week we invite you to open your Bibles with us. We want you to be checking that what we're saying from the front is indeed the word of God. Attitudes. Is there attitude like that of Christ who humbled himself? Do they boast only in Christ? Do they love like Christ sacrificially? Paul did and he's a great example of it. I skipped actions I think, did I? Do they practice what they preach? That's a simple one. Paul certainly did. But before I close... I want to say one more thing about false teachers. False teachers may deliberately deceive or they can accidentally deceive. 
You see, they may have good motives, but are sadly misguided. Or they may have bad motives and deliberately deceive us. In any case, our own prayerful reading and application of the Word of God, the Bible, combined with Christian community, the church, you guys, meeting here together today, where issues, ideas, questions can be discussed, meeting together in life groups during the week, where things can be measured together against the single source of truth, God's word. That's the remedy for us. You see, the, the, the more we know of God's word, the better we are at discerning the false teachers. To help us remember this, like the recent national security uh, campaign messaging, remember, be alert, not alarmed. We've got be alert, not alarmed, because we are armed with the word of God. 